You're, you're, you're listening to the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. And welcome to Wise Guys, These Guys Know Sports here on this Saturday, November the 5th. Here live on the Wise Guys Sports Show here on the World Wise Sports Network. Everybody remember, go and follow Wise Guys on Twitter at WiseGuys underscore H. Also on Facebook, Wise Guys. Be sure to follow Wise Guys on Instagram at These Guys No Sports. Happy Saturday, ladies and gentlemen. You are in the house with Trey Larkins on the Wise Guys Sports Show. I'm excited to be here. Shout out to the city for putting on today down at Clifton. At the University of Cincinnati, as we had college game day in the house at Nipper Stadium, Kirk Curb Street was there. Lee Corso was there. You had Nick uh, Lachey, I think Lachey, uh, I, I, Lackey, whoever the guy is, he from Cincinnati, put on for the city. So shout out to all the Bearcat fans that was down there putting on for the city. It's going to be an electric atmosphere down there at Nipper Stadium this afternoon as the Bearcats will host Tulsa and Bearcats. You know, they not too happy about those college football playoff rankings being ranked sixth right now in the college football playoffs. So we're excited about that matchup today at Nipper Stadium. Kickoff was at 3.30 p.m. as Luke Fickle and the crew will try to stay undefeated. They've won 24 straight games. They've been dominant the last two years. Give the Bearcats the respect that they rightfully deserve for, as a football team. Get them into the college football playoff committee, man. It's just it's it's frustrating when I saw those rankings being released and you saw the Bearcats being ranked six behind Oregon, behind Old State, both teams who have suffered losses this season. But that's something I'll get later on into next week. I got an action jam-packed show. I'm going to give you my NFL week nine wise picks also i'm going to talk about michael thomas he's announced on twitter this week that he's done for the season i'm going to give you my reaction to that also i'm going to talk about scotty pippen and his bitterness towards michael jordan but we begin in the nfl with the aaron Rodgers situation in green bay as aaron Rodgers recently tested positive for covid he's out for the Sunday game against the Kansas City Chiefs, Jordan Love will make his first NFL start. And the earliest that Rodgers can return is Saturday, November the 13th. That is before the Week 10 matchup against the Seattle Seahawks, a matchup where it's anticipated that Russell Wilson will also be back in the lineup for the Seattle Seahawks. And the reason why Aaron Rodgers can't play on Sunday is because he's unvaccinated. If he was vaccinated, he would have had to test negative two separate occasions, 24 hours apart, in order to be able to play Sunday in a matchup against Patrick Mahomes and the Chiefs. But he's unvaccinated. You remember back in August, Rogers said he was immunized when asked about his vaccination status. So I'm a dour Packers fan. I've been a Packers fan since I was two years old. I'm an Aaron Rodgers fan, and that's my man. That's my guy. And, I, you know, he's the quarterback of my favorite NFL team. He's the quarterback of 
my favorite team in pro sports overall. Like, so honestly, like I've always been pro Aaron Rodgers. Like I, you hear reports about how Aaron Rodgers is a diva, how he has questionable leadership abilities, about how, you know, he's a me guy more than a team guy. You hear these things when, you know, you listen to people talk about Aaron Rodgers and the player that he is. Like a lot of people have labeled Aaron Rodgers as being selfish. He's not a team first player and he is basically condescending and he, he makes everything about him. And so because he's so great on the field, I have always given Aaron Rodgers a pass. I have always pretty much, you know, said, well, as long as he is playing quarterback at a high level for the Green Bay Packers and winning games for the Packers, then I'm good with Aaron Rodgers because obviously, however he is, it leads to winning football games. And as a Packers fan, I've always been biased because I am a diehard Packers fan. So when the news came out about Aaron Rodgers lying about his vaccination status, initially, I said that let's pump the brakes, you know, let's wait on the investigation before we pass judgment on this situation involving Aaron Rodgers and whether or not he was truly vaccinated. And it was something that people was giving me flat for, and they were saying, you need to go ahead and let him have it. Like he lied about his vaccination status. And I'll admit this situation, I am torn because on one hand, Aaron Rodgers looks like a flat out liar because he said he was immunized in August when asked about his vaccination status and clearly he was not vaccinated. And so there was reports about how Aaron Rodgers had a procedure before the season and I don't really know all the details of the procedure, but they said that the procedure, Aaron Rodgers had filed a petition to the NFL to see if that qualified as being vaccinated and the NFL declined his request. So at the time when he was asked about his vaccination status, he said he was immunized because I think he thought that that qualified as him, you know, the procedure that he had, that qualified him as being vaccinated. But clearly that was not the case. And so after that, after the season started, we saw Aaron Rodgers, you know, after games, he went up to opposing players on other teams and was talking to other players and basically, he wasn't following the protocols for an unvaccinated player. You see players like Carson Wentz, you know, when they go up to other players after the games, you see Carson Wentz, he has a mask on. Also, one of the protocols is you're supposed to have a mask on in media sessions if you're an unvaccinated player. Aaron Rodgers, he did not have a mask on in press conferences, and he didn't have a mask on after games when talking to opposing teams, players. So because of that, Aaron Rodgers lied about his vaccination status. And he went on the Pat McAfee show yesterday and tried to clear it up. And he said that he did not lie. I want to hear what more information come out. I want to see what the investigation, you know, from the NFL and what takes place. Because right now, Aaron Rodgers, you look like a flat out liar. You, like, you flat out lied to the media and you did not follow the protocols in place by the NFL 
for the COVID-19 virus. And so if that's the case, Aaron Rodgers should be not only fined, he should be suspended for, I would say, two games. And this is coming from a diehard Packers fan. This is coming from a diehard Aaron Rodgers fan. I want to see more information come out. I want to hear how the investigation goes once the NFL look into whether or not Aaron Rodgers did not follow the proper protocols that were in place. And right now, the evidence that we have, Aaron Rodgers did not follow the proper protocols as an unvaccinated player. Now, again, once the NFL does the investigation, I might change my stance on this. But as of right now, Aaron Rodgers flat out lied and he deserves to be punished for lying to the media and misleading the media with this immunized, you know, word instead of actually being honest about his vaccination status. He knew that word would mislead the media and make the media think like, okay, well, he is vaccinated. It's no big deal. But there is a strong possibility that Aaron Rodgers, he didn't want the criticism that would come with not being a vaccinated player. You're Aaron Rodgers. You're the quarterback of the Green Bay Packers. You are the star quarterback of the team that's been in the NFC Championship game the last two years. One of the more popular fan bases in the NFL in the Green Bay Packers. You're not vaccinated? What's up, Aaron? Maybe Aaron didn't want to have to deal with those questions and the criticism that comes from not being vaccinated, and that's why he misled the media the way that he did. I don't know. These are all questions that will be answered as time goes along. If Aaron Rodgers did indeed lie about his vaccination status, he's not the only one to blame here. The Green Bay Packers organization deserves some of the blame as well because they have protocols in place that the organizations and the coaches on the teams know that you have to follow. And so that's why I love Matt LaFleur. I think Matt LaFleur has done a hell of a job since he's been the head coach of the Green Bay Packers in his first three seasons. He's done great. Seriously, like I think he has the best record of any coach in the Super Bowl era in the first 39 games with the particular team. This is Matt LaFleur. But Matt LaFleur got a little bit frustrated with the media this week because they continued to ask questions about Aaron Rodgers and whether or not he followed the proper protocols. Matt, you can't get upset about something like this. You can't try to pretend like the media is wrong for asking questions about something that your star quarterback possibly lied about. You can't get upset about that. You have to answer these type of questions being the head coach of the Green Bay Packers. So the Packers organization, is there a possibility that because of all the turmoil and all the toxicity going on between Aaron Rodgers and the Packers organization, is there a possibility that the Packers organization pretty much let Aaron Rodgers do whatever he wanted to do and pretty much said, hey, He's a star quarterback. We're winning football games. We've won seven straight games. We've, we're seven and one. 
We're at the top of the NFC standings right now. Let Aaron do what he wants. Let him do what he wants. We want to possibly bring him back next year and have him possibly even in his career in Green Bay. So let's let Aaron pretty much do what he wants in this situation. And we're going to support him on whatever he wants to do if he tests positive and comes down with COVID and an investigation is, comes about. So I think the Packers were complicit right along with Aaron Rodgers in this situation, which means they also deserve to be punished. Packers would have to be fine. They should have to be fined, maybe give up a draft pick here or there, but they have to have some type of punishment because they were a part of Aaron Rodgers' plan to lie to the media and not follow the COVID protocols that's put in place by the NFL. So the Packers deserve some blame in this as well. And on top of that, I was questioning the NFL because the NFL, Roger Goodell, they've seen Aaron Rodgers after games talking to opposing players on other teams. So why didn't the NFL intervene sooner? Why did it have to take Aaron Rodgers contracting the coronavirus before the NFL wanted to launch an investigation? It just makes you wonder if everyone involved, this includes Aaron Rodgers, this includes the NFL, and this includes the Green Bay Packers. If all three parties involved were involved in this complicit action and lying about his vaccination status. Because the NFL, they saw Aaron Rodgers not following protocols at these post-game press conferences, at these weekly press conferences that he has with Packer reporters in Green Bay every week. They saw this. And the NFL didn't say anything about it then, but all of a sudden now that Aaron Rodgers has COVID and he's unvaccinated and he can't play in the game, now all of a sudden the NFL wants to come down with an investigation. I find that very, very fishy and something smells about that. So I think, honestly, Aaron Rodgers, the Packers organization, and the NFL all played a part and Aaron Rodgers lying about his vaccination status. Again, I'm going to reserve judgment all the way completely until the facts come out. I want the investigation to take place, and then I'll give my opinion on the overall situation. But as of right now, Aaron Rodgers, he looks to be a liar on his vaccination status. I love you, Aaron. I love the player that you are and what you have meant to the Green Bay Packers organization as a fan. But if you did indeed lie about your vaccination status and you didn't follow proper protocols in place and you put other players at risk from possibly contracting the coronavirus because you weren't wearing a mask, then you deserve to be suspended. But I want to wait for all the information to come out. Everybody, remember going to follow Wise Guys on Twitter at WiseGuys underscore H, also on Facebook, Wise Guys. And be sure to follow Wise Guys Instagram at These Guys Know Sports. Let's go to Cleveland and let's talk about the Cleveland Browns. As I just want to give you a timeline of the events that took place this week in Cleveland. On the trading deadline, Odell Beckham Sr. 
He posted clips of Baker not passing the football to Odell. And then the trading deadline passed. Odell Beckham was not traded. And then for two days, I believe it was like Wednesday and Thursday, Odell Beckham, he was excused from practice. And the Cleveland Browns, they pretty much told Odell Beckham to stay away from the facility for a few days. They were trying to figure out what they wanted to do with Odell. And Friday, the Browns officially, finally released Odell Beckham Jr. So when I look at this situation with Odell Beckham and the Cleveland Browns and him being released, I got three words. About damn time. When you look, like when you see the Cleveland Browns and how they play football, it's three reasons why Odell Beckham, while he was a member of the Cleveland Browns, it's three reasons why it did not work. Number one, injuries. You remember last year, Odell Beckham, he tore his ACL in a game against the Cincinnati Bengals here at Paul Brown Stadium. So Odell has been dealing with injuries his entire Browns tenure. His entire Browns tenure, he's dealt with injuries. And so that is a part of the reason why it did not work out because he wasn't always available. And we all know your best ability is availability. And since Odell has been a member of the Cleveland Browns, he's missed multiple games. And last year, when the Browns actually were playing some great football, Odell Beckham was out with a torn ACL. You remember last year, the Browns, they got into the playoffs. They beat the Pittsburgh Steelers in Heinz Field in Pittsburgh. They went on to lose to the Kansas City Chiefs in the divisional round. And again, they should have won. They should have won that game, actually, because that was a game that Patrick Mahomes got knocked out. But they had a good season. And Odell wasn't a part of that season last year because of his torn ACL. And we've seen Odell have injuries that he's dealt with, you know, throughout the course of his career. But while he was a member of the Cleveland Browns, there were games where he missed and he wasn't able to contribute to the team winning games the way that he wanted to. So I would say that one of the main reasons why Odell didn't work out with the Browns is injuries. Number two, another reason why Odell Beckham didn't work out with the Cleveland Browns is because of the way their team are, is built. The team strength is being able to run the football with Nick Chubb and Kareem Hunt. They have one of the best offensive lines in the NFL. They want to run the football 30 to 35 times a game with Kareem Hunt and Nick Chubb, the best running back tandem in the NFL. This is not a high-powered offense like the Kansas City Chiefs, like the Green Bay Packers, like the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, like the Las Vegas Raiders. This is an offense that their formula for success is being able to run the football with their running back tandem in Kareem Hunt and Nick Chubb. It's not throwing the ball 35, 40 times a game with Baker Mayfield to his receivers in Odell Beckham and Jarvis Landry, you know, in 
Jones and Austin Hooper. That's not the way this offense is built. So I believe Kevin Stefanski, when he took over as head coach for Freddie Kitchens, he wanted to put Baker in positions to be successful by not having him have to drop back to pass 35, 40 times a game for the Browns to win football games. He implemented a game plan for Baker to be successful by relying on Kareem Hunt and Nick Chubb to run behind this great offensive line that the Cleveland Browns have in place. So when you're Odell Beckham, you're a star receiver who was great in New York, you know, one of the best receivers in the NFL at one point in time. You want to get your touches in the offense. But honestly, the way the offense is built, it's not built around Odell Beckham's skill set and him being able to be involved in the offense the way that he wants to be. So that's my second reason. It's the way that the Browns are built. It's, they're not built for a star receiver like Odell Beckham to statistically dominate the stat sheet. That's not how they're built. But the third reason, and probably the biggest reason, more than all, as to why the Odell Beckham experiment did not work out in Cleveland, is because you can have an average quarterback in Baker Mayfield. This season, 35% of passes that were off target, they were thrown in the direction of Odell Beckham. You compare that to 20% of passes that were off target to everyone else. So although some people have an issue with Odell Beckham Sr. posting the clips that he posted on the day of the trading day line about how Baker Mayfield missed Odell Beckham multiple times throughout the course of games, I didn't have a problem with that. Because we've seen Baker Mayfield's wife go on social media and call out the fan base. We've seen Baker Mayfield call out Duke Johnson when he was going through his contract negotiations. We've seen Baker Mayfield call out former head coach Hugh Jackson, who is well-respected by players in the NFL. We've seen Baker Mayfield call out Hugh Jackson. And so I don't blame Odell Beckham Jr. for his dad posting videos on social media about how he's not getting the football. I don't blame Odell Beckham Sr. for that. He has a right to voice his frustration if his son is not being put in a position to be successful and not getting the football and being able to make plays in the flow of the Browns offense. That's Odell Beckham Sr.'s right to post whatever he wants to post on his social media. Baker Mayfield's wife posts whatever she wants. Baker Mayfield has called out players, coaches, whenever he's wanted to do that. So why would I be upset about Baker Mayfield Sr. posting about his son and why his son is not playing to the best of his abilities because he has a quarterback who can't throw him the football when he's open? I don't have no problem with that. But again, Baker Mayfield has struggled to be able to get the football to Odell 
when he has been open. If Odell Beckham was playing with Aaron Rodgers, do you think it would be an issue for him being able to get the football? If Odell Beckham was playing with Tom Brady, do you think it would be an issue in order for him to get the football? If Odell Beckham was playing with Patrick Mahomes, do you think it would be an issue for Odell Beckham to get the football? We all know the answers to those questions. And in my opinion, that's the biggest reason why the Odell Beckham experiment did not work out in Cleveland. I think injuries played a part. I think the way the Cleveland Browns offense is constructed played a part in the formula that how they win, you know, that played a part. But I think the biggest reason, more than any, is because Baker Mayfield is an average quarterback at best. And I've, I've said it before, I'm going to say it again. We need to lower our expectations for Baker Mayfield. And when you look at Odell Beckham and you compare his statistical numbers in Cleveland compared to New York, with the New York Giants, Odell Beckham, he had 10.5 targets per game. With the Cleveland Browns, he had 7.1. With the Giants, he averaged 6.6 receptions per game. With the Browns, it's 3.9. Receiving yards with the Giants, Odell Beckham, 92.8. With the Browns, 54.7. And during his tenure with the New York Giants, he ranked top five in the NFL in all of those categories in targets receptions and receiving yards that was 2014 through 2018 also in odell's first three seasons he had 288 receptions for 4,000 receiving yards 35 touchdowns he's the only player in nfl history that was able to accomplish those statistical feats period not Randy Moss, not Jerry Rice, not Terrell Owens. Odell Beckham is the only player in NFL history to accomplish those three statistical accomplishments in the first three years of his career. 288 receptions, 4,000 receiving yards, and 35 touchdowns. So this season, you look at his numbers, 17 receptions, 232 receiving yards, zero touchdowns in six games this year. And in his career for the Cleveland Browns overall, in 29 games played, 114 catches, 1,586 receiving yards, seven touchdowns, and he had two games with over 1,000 receiving yards. And I remember it's so crazy because thinking about Odell Beckham, while he played with the Cleveland Browns, the best game I can remember from Odell and the best pass that he received wasn't even from Baker Mayfield. <laughs> it was from Jarvis Landry in the, Cleveland, in the Cleveland Browns versus Dallas Cowboys game that took place in Dallas a few years ago. I don't know if you remember, it was like a reverse play that Kevin Stefanski had called. Baker Mayfield rolled out to his right. 
threw a backward lateral to Jarvis Landry. Landry, left-handed, threw a pass to Odell Beckham in the end zone. That was the highlight of Odell Beckham's career with the Cleveland Browns. So the best ball that he received wasn't even from Baker Mayfield. It was from Jarvis Landry. And so before I get to Baker, to Odell Beckham and where I believe he's going to fit best in his next destination, I want to talk about the Browns in their locker room for a second. Don't forget, Jarvis Landry and Odell Beckham, they have a great relationship. Dating back to their days when they played at LSU together. So not only are they their friends on the field and on the team, they're friends off the field. Because Jarvis Landry plays with Baker Mayfield still, he knows how Odell really feels about Baker Mayfield. But because Odell now has been released and he's now going to another team, in the locker room, everyone's going to rally around Baker Mayfield because he's the quarterback, because he's the man now in Cleveland. Everyone's going to rally around Baker Mayfield and say, this is your football team. There are no more, no more distractions. It's time for you to lead us. We got the distraction out of the locker room. And I wonder if that can affect the chemistry in the locker room, given the fact that Jarvis Landry, who is still friends with Odell Beckham, is still in that locker room. And he knows the truth on why the experiment with Odell Beckham and Baker Mayfield and the Cleveland Browns did not work. I wonder if that's something that, you know, could play a factor into the Browns season as we get into the second half of the season. Jarvis Landry, he's close with Odell Beckham. He knows the truth and why this wasn't able to work out between the two. But in the locker room now, everyone's going to say Odell's gone. Baker, this is your team. Forget about Odell. But Jarvis Landry is friends with Odell. And so I just wonder if this could cause some, some chemistry issues in that locker room because Landry has his own personal feelings as well about the situation because he's cool with Odell off the field. So that's something to keep an eye on. Definitely something to keep an eye on. So now the question is, what's next for Odell Beckham Jr.? I'm going to list four teams who I believe are the best options for Odell Beckham and his services. I already went on record earlier in the week when I told y'all that I believe the Green Bay Packers should have traded for Odell Beckham. I believe if you add Odell Beckham to the Green Bay Packers offense and you pair him up with Devontae Adams, Aaron Rodgers, Throwing the ball to Devontae Adams and Odell Beckham would be unstoppable. But let's talk about other teams who I think would be a good fit for Odell. One of them, I would say, is the Las Vegas Raiders, who tragically just lost Henry Ruggs. He's no longer on the team. But when you look at their team and how they're built, Henry Runfro, he leads the team with 51 targets. That's tied for 40th in the NFL amongst receivers. 
Waller, the tight end for the Raiders, a great weapon for Derek Carr in their offense, he has 52 targets. That's tied for 35th in the NFL for total targets. So I think the Raiders will be a good fit for Odell Beckham, especially considering they just lost Henry Ruggs, who was their deep threat in the offense. You know Odell Beckham will be a great deep threat for Derek Carr to be able to throw the ball to for the Raiders. This one is one that I think would be intriguing, but I don't think it would happen. I think the Patriots would be a good fit for Odell because he'll be in a system with Bill Belichick and Josh McDaniels where they will find ways to get Odell Beckham the football. But the only problem that I have with the Patriots fit is you have a rookie quarterback in Mac Jones. And I don't know if Odell was ready to be patient for the development of Mac Jones in order for him to be able to get the football. Odell wants to be able to make plays in the open field and contribute to the team being able to win football games. And Mac Jones is still developing as a quarterback in the New England Patriots system. So I don't know if that's a good fit because of Mac Jones, but I like the fit with Odell being able to play for a great coach like Belichick and a great coordinator like Josh McDaniels. Now, people were saying the Chiefs would be a good fit for Odell. I disagree because when you look at the Chiefs, Tyreek Hill, he leads the NFL in targets with 90. Travis Kelsey, he has 71 targets, which is seventh in the NFL amongst tight ends. Whenever Patrick Mahomes is in trouble, he looks for either Travis Kelsey or Tyreek Hill. So I don't know if Odell would fit with the Kansas City Chiefs the way he would fit with the Packers or the Raiders. I think Mahomes, he has that chemistry already developed with Travis Kelsey, with Tyreek Hill. So that was my biggest issue with the Chiefs. But I like the Raiders and I like the Packers as the two best fits for Odell Beckham Jr. We'll see where he lands. Everybody, remember going to follow Wise Guys on Twitter at WiseGuysOH, also on Facebook, Wise Guys. And be sure to follow Wise Guys on Instagram at These Guys No Sports. Let's transition and let's talk about Scottie Pippen and his comments on Michael Jordan. So this was Scottie Pippen. This was an excerpt released by GQ from Pippen's upcoming memoir, Unguarded. Pippen got a book coming out. It's called Unguarded. And this was an excerpt released from GQ. This is Scottie Pippen on Michael Jordan in The Last Dance. I want to read this. Quote, I was nothing more than a prompt. His, quote, best teammate of all time, he called me. He couldn't have been more condescending if he tried. Each episode was the same. Michael on a pedestal, his teammates secondary, smaller. The message no different from when he referred to us back then as his supporting cast. From one season to the next, we received little or no credit whenever we won, but the bulk of criticism when we lost. Michael Jordan would never have been Michael Jordan without me. Horace Grant, Tony Kukoc, John Paxson, Steve Kerr, Dennis Rodman, Bill Cartwright, Ron Harper, B. 
B.J. Armstrong, Luke Longley, Will Perdue, and Bill Winnington. I apologize to anyone I've left out. Pippen and Jordan were teammates for 10 seasons with the Chicago Bulls, and that was an excerpt released by GQ Magazine, and this is all to promote Pippen's upcoming book that's going to be released soon called Unguarded. So one of the things that Pippen said in that excerpt that I thought was very interesting was he said that Michael Jordan would have never been Michael Jordan without other Bulls teammates that he played with during their championship seasons. So one thing that I want Scotty to understand is Scotty Pippen, you should be ashamed of yourself because Michael Jordan was already a bona fide superstar before Scotty Pippen entered the NBA in 1987. This is Michael Jordan before Scotty Pippen. He was an high school All-American. He was a college All-American. He was rookie of the year. He was a two-time All-NBA player, three-time All-Star, scoring champion, averaging 37 points per game. He averaged 35.4 points per game in two playoff series without Scottie Pippen. And before Scottie Pippen arrived in the NBA, Larry Bird, he called Scottie Pippen, quote, God disguised as Michael Jordan. This is before Scottie Pippen entered the NBA. And on top of that, I'm going to read you Michael Jordan's first seven seasons, his scoring average. He averaged in his rookie season, 28 points per game. His second season in the NBA, where he only played 18 games because of injury, 23 points per game. 37 points per game, 35 points per game, 33 points per game, 34 points per game, 32 points per game, and 30 points per game. And three of those seven seasons, Michael Jordan was averaging, besides his rookie year, over 30 points per game. And then in his second year, the only reason why he didn't average over 30 was because he only played in 18 games. And so for Scottie Pippen to feel like Michael Jordan wasn't Michael Jordan before he came into the NBA is absurd. Michael Jordan was already an outstanding basketball player. Now, did Luke Longley, Horace Grant, Scottie Pippen, Dennis Rodman, B.J. Armstrong, Bill Winnington, did they help Michael Jordan become a champion? Absolutely. But Michael Jordan was already a superstar in the face of the NBA before Scottie Pippen arrived in the NBA. Do you remember at the time when Michael Jordan was even losing to the bad boy Pistons? This is when Isaiah Thomas and Magic Johnson was the face of the NBA. Michael Jordan was still looked at as being the best player 
and the NBA. The NBA, they were promoting Magic Johnson and Isaiah Thomas, but they saw how great Michael Jordan was. And the NBA said, wait a minute, this kid from Chicago, although he hasn't won a championship yet, he is the face of the NBA. So this notion that Michael Jordan didn't become Michael Jordan until Scottie Pippen entered the NBA and the Bulls started winning championships is wrong. It's wrong. But since Scottie Pippen wanted to go down that route, let's talk about Scottie Pippen. Who was Scottie Pippen before he played with Michael Jordan? Anybody, anybody hear any, any thing about Scottie Pippen? Anything? Once Michael Jordan retired, what was Scotty known for? Oh, he got a gun charge. Oh, he refused to go into the game in a playoff game because Phil Jackson called for the last shot to be taken by Tony Kukoc and not Scotty Pippen. And instead of Scotty Pippen being the leader of the team that he was at that time, Scottie Pippen decided to go and mope on the bench because he was upset that Phil Jackson didn't give him an opportunity to take the last shot. Also, Scottie Pippen, post-MJ, he went to Houston and played with Charles Barkley and Hakeem. They didn't get very far in the playoffs. They didn't win a championship. Then he went to the Portland Trailblazers. He averaged 11 points per game. So Scottie Pippen was a nobody pre-Michael Jordan and post-Michael Jordan. Scottie, put some respect on Michael Jordan's name and give him the credit that he deserves for why you were able to have the career that you had. Scottie Pippen, you were a great player. And Scottie Pippen, he was a superstar in his own right. Scottie Pippen, he didn't have to make the 75th anniversary team. He made the top 50 players list of greatest players of all time before the 75th anniversary team was announced. We know how great Scottie Pippen was. He was one of the greatest defensive forwards in NBA history. But the problem is, you weren't as good as Michael Jordan. And it's okay. Everyone can't be Michael Jordan. Everyone can't be LeBron James. Everyone can't be Kobe Bryant. Everyone can't even be Beyonce with Destiny's Child. You remember the great group in R&B with Destiny Childs when you had Kelly Rowland, Beyonce, and Michelle. And although Michelle and Kelly Rowland were both great singers, great performers, they were not as great as Beyonce was. But guess what? They got credit as one of the greatest groups in R&B history because of what they were able to accomplish 
as a team. The Chicago Bulls were able to win six NBA championships in the Jordan Pippen era. And Scottie Pippen deserves some credit for that. But he was never the player that Michael Jordan was. And to Michael Jordan's credit, Michael Jordan has given Scottie Pippen his credit for helping him win those championships. He's giving him his credit publicly and privately. So what is wrong with Scottie Pippen and why is he so bitter? There were so many things that Scottie Pippen did in his career that had nothing to do with Michael Jordan. Mistakes that he made along the way. Let's talk about one of the major mistakes that Scottie Pippen made. After the first championship that the Bulls won, Jerry Reinsdorf, he was the owner of the Bulls at the time. He brought Scottie Pippen into his office. He told Scottie Pippen, do not sign this deal. There was a deal on the table. It was a five-year, $18 million deal for Scottie Pippen. Reinsdorf, the owner for the Bulls, he told Scottie Pippen, do not sign this deal. But Scottie Pippen, knowing that his father was in a wheelchair, knowing that his brother was in a wheelchair, and knowing how his upbringing was, he decided to sign the five-year, $18 million deal that Reinsdorf told him not to sign. Reinsdorf told Pippen, he said, hey, I don't restructure contracts. I don't renegotiate deals. So once you sign this deal, it's final. Reinsdorf didn't even renegotiate deals with Michael Jordan. So Scottie Pippen decided to still sign the five-year, $18 million deal. But yet and still, Scottie Pippen selfishly, in the offseason before the last dance, he chose to push back surgery that he knew he needed to have. He chose to push that back because he wanted a new contract with the Chicago Bulls. You chose to sign that contract, Scotty. Not MJ, not Phil Jackson. You chose to sign that contract that your owner told you not to sign. But yet, you want to sit up here and play victim and act like Michael Jordan was the reason why you didn't get the credit you deserved in the Bulls championships era? Stop. Stop. And then here's the worst part about it. And this was Scottie Pippen. He told the New York Post this. Scottie Pippen, he didn't even mention or give Michael Jordan condolences about his father passing away in July of 1993. He didn't even give Michael Jordan condolences for his own father passing away. And you remember, Scottie Pippen, he had three years after the first repeat to give condolences to Michael Jordan. And here we are 30 years later. And you haven't given Michael Jordan condolences because of his father passing away. And you did that intentionally. You did that intentionally. And that's something 
that there ain't no coming back from. You crossed the line, Scotty. You crossed the line here. Because if I know someone who I'm friends with, if, Lord forbid, something happens to my parents and you don't give me condolences intentionally, that's something I'll never forget. Never. There ain't no coming back from that at all. Because me, even if I'm on bad terms with a particular friend, if something happens to their parents, I'm going to call them and give them my condolences, even if we own bad terms. So the fact that Scotty Pip Pippen intentionally didn't give Michael Jordan condolences for his father passing away is also deceitful and wrong. And he crossed the line. And also, one more thing. And I just recently found this out. <laughs> Did you know that Scottie Pippen actually made more money on the basketball court than Michael Jordan? Through the first 11 years of his career, Michael Jordan never made no more than $4 million. Never. Scottie Pippen and total earnings on the court, he made $107 million in his career. Michael Jordan made $97 million in his career. This is just on the court. So, again, for Scottie Pippen to be as bitter as he is right now towards Michael Jordan, it's crazy. It's crazy, and it's absurd. And he should be ashamed of himself. He really, really should. And I didn't even mention back in the 1988-89 season when Jordan needed Scottie Pippen, Scottie Pippen had a migraine in game seven. And he didn't even really play. But you remember when Michael Jordan had the flu against the Utah Jazz, the man dropped 35 points in that game with the flu. This is Michael Jordan that we're talking about here. So, again, the situation involving Scottie Pippen and Michael Jordan, it's crazy. And it's unbelievable that two great players who accomplished so much together, 30 years later, can't celebrate their accomplishments together and be able to look back and appreciate that, damn, we was one of the top NBA duos of all time. One of the top. And that's one more thing I want to say before I move on. <laughs> as bitter as Scotty is, he need to be appreciating the fact that he got an opportunity to play with the great Michael Jordan. Because when I look at NBA duos of all time, it's a few duos, I would say, like Batman was that were better than Scotty. Like, and I think Scotty Pippen is one of the best, you know, second best players on a team in NBA history. Like, I think he was one of the best. But let's think about NBA duels in NBA history, right? In the Kobe and Shaq era with the Lakers, at the time, Shaq was the better player. Kobe was the Robin on those teams. Kobe's better than Scottie Pippen. Okay, let's talk about LeBron James in Miami with Dwayne Wade. 
LeBron was the Batman, Dwayne Wade was the Robin, but Wade was better as a Robin than Scottie Pippen was. Even though Dwayne Wade was out of his prime. After the first year in Miami for LeBron, I think Dwayne Wade was on the downside of his career and he was out of his prime, but he still was a great player, especially in clutch moments for the Miami Heat. But I would say Dwayne Wade was a better bat Rodman, you know, to LeBron than Scottie Pippen was to Jordan. So Pippen, you're not even like, you a great player in your own right, but you're not as great as Dwayne Wade was. You're not as great as Kobe was. And I give you credit because you did guard the opposing team's best player. You saw Pippen guarding Gary Payton. Sometimes Michael Jordan took, on, took, you know, took Gary Payton as well. You saw Scottie Pippen guarding Magic Johnson. You saw Scottie Pippen guarding Charles Barkley. So again, Scottie Pippen was one of the greatest NBA players in NBA history. But you can make a legitimate argument that he was maybe the third or fourth best Robin to the actual Batman in NBA history. Seriously, you can make that argument. So that's my thoughts about the Scottie Pippen and Michael Jordan situation and overall how I feel about it. Scottie Pippen, it's time to get out your feelings, man. Let bygones be bygones. And appreciate the fact that you got an opportunity to play with Michael Jordan because it was an honor. It was an honor being able to watch the Bulls in the 90s. And Scottie Pippen, he deserves a lot of credit for those Bulls championships. But you just was never as good as MJ. And that's okay. That's okay, Scotty. It's okay. Let's transition. Let's talk about Michael Thomas. As Michael Thomas, he announced earlier this week on Twitter that he's done for the season. He said he experienced a setback in his recovery from an ankle injury. And y'all remember Michael Thomas was set to return from IR for the New Orleans Saints and play this season. So when I look at this situation with Michael Thomas and the New Orleans Saints, I have my questions about this situation. And honestly, this situation to me smells. <laughs> and let me explain why. It smells because in the immediate aftermath of the New Orleans Saints losing to the Tampa Bay Buccaneers in the playoffs, Michael Thomas did not get surgery. The Saints lost to the Bucs in January in the playoffs. Michael Thomas, he didn't get surgery until June. And it makes you wonder why did Michael Thomas postpone the surgery and not get the surgery until June? Season starts in September. Training camp starts in late July, early August, and you're getting surgery in June. So you waited a whole six months before you got surgery? Oh, maybe 
the reason why Michael Thomas chose to postpone surgery is because he wasn't as motivated because he knew that Drew Brees was retiring. And he knew that, man, I'm not going to be able to flourish the way that I've, I have had, have had, you know, throughout the first five years of my career because Drew Brees is retiring. And then I find it kind of funny how Jameis Winston, he gets injured against the Tampa Bay Buccaneers out for the season. And now, all of a sudden, Michael Thomas, you've experienced a setback. Now Trevor Simeon is going to be the quarterback for the New Orleans Saints for the foreseeable future. And now Michael Thomas is experiencing a setback. Is that because you know Trevor Simeon can't get you the football like Jameis Winston can? I just find it fishy. Like, and I'm not going to question Michael, Tom, Michael Thomas because I know Michael Thomas is a great receiver at his best. And you remember the year that he had back in 20, what, 20 was it? 2019. 2019, Michael Thomas, 149 receptions, 1,725 receiving yards, nine touchdowns. He broke the receptions record and had a tremendous season for the New Orleans Saints, which was also a part of the reason why the Saints, they signed Thomas to a five-year, $100 million contract extension, which was going to be $20 million a year. He earned that contract. And when he's playing at his best, Michael Thomas is one of the best receivers in the NFL. But all of this started last year. And Drew Brees' final season as a quarterback. Last year, Michael Thomas, he gets into a fight with the defensive back on the team. He curses out Sean Payton. He gets sent home, and he's suspended for one game check. They tell him to go get counseling and get himself together. And again, this year, the fact that he postponed surgery until June, and then once Jameis Winston tore his ACL and is out for the season, all of a sudden, Michael Thomas, he's had a setback, and now he's done for the year. I think this smells. And I just wonder if Michael Thomas, now that he's gotten his money, $20 million a year, five years, $100 million total on the contract, now that he's gotten his money, I just wonder if Michael Thomas is still motivated to play football for the New Orleans Saints at a high level. Drew Brees is retired. Jameis Winston is done for the season. So I just wonder if Michael Thomas is motivated and if he wants to be a part of the New Orleans Saints franchise moving forward. These are questions that Sean Payton and the Saints organization need to be asking themselves and having conversations ongoing with Michael Thomas. Let's transition and let's talk about my week nine wise picks for the week. It's that time of the week, ladies and gentlemen. Let's get right to it. Let's start off in Miami as the Houston Texans are traveling to South Beach to take on the Miami Dolphins. I got the Dolphins winning this football game. 
I'm going to roll with the Dolphins. I'll say 24-17 over the Texans. Texans are not a very good football team. The Dolphins, they are one of the more disappointing teams in the NFL, but I think they're a little bit better than the Texans. Let's move on to the Denver Broncos and the Dallas Cowboys. I think the Denver Broncos, they are tanking for the season. They traded away Von Miller earlier this week. They are ready to move on to next season and try to find their quarterback in this upcoming draft. I think this is a game where the Cowboys are going to win big. I'm rolling with the Cowboys to beat the Broncos 35 to 14 in Dallas. Big time game with the Battle of Ohio here in Cincinnati as the Cleveland Browns 4 and 4 taking on the 5 and 3 Cincinnati Bengals big time matchup in the AFC North. I'm rolling with the Browns to beat the Bengals here at Paul Brown Stadium. I got Baker Mayfield 24 Bengals 20. I think it's going to be a close game. But I didn't like what I saw from the Bengals last week defensively as they let Mike White light them up. And we know the Jets are off. We just saw the Jets get blew out by the Colts. I know the final score didn't indicate that. But at one point in that game, the Colts were up 20-plus. Jets, they aren't very good. I don't know how the hell they beat the Bengals in week eight. I think that Bengals defense will struggle against the Browns. I think the Browns are going to be able to run the football in this game with Nick Chubb. I got Browns 24, Bengals 20. Vikings at Ravens. Lamar Jackson, he's 11-0 against NFC teams in his career. And because Lamar Jackson doesn't really play NFC teams quite frequently, I think NFC teams, they are surprised by what they see when they actually get on the field playing against Lamar Jackson. It's one thing to see it on tape. It's another one shoot out there in between those lines playing against Lamar Jackson and seeing how fast he is on that football field. 11-0 against NFC teams. Go ahead and make it 12-0. Ravens going to beat the Vikings this weekend in Baltimore. I'm rolling with the Ravens to beat the Vikings. We'll go 31-20 in the Ravens-Vikings game. So I got Lamar Jackson, 31, Kirk Cousins, 20. The Las Vegas Raiders, they are traveling to MetLife Stadium to take on Daniel Jones and the New York Giants. The Raiders are a better football team. Raiders, 34, Giants, 24. I think it'll be a high-scoring affair, but I'm rolling with the Raiders to get the job done over the Giants. Falcons and Saints, no Jameis Winston for the Saints. So we got Trevor Simeon as a starting quarterback for the New Orleans Saints. I'm going to roll with the Saints to win this game. I like the Saints and how they played against Tom Brady and the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. I think they bring that momentum into week nine against the Falcons. I got Saints 27, Falcons 20. NFC South battle in the Big Easy Sunday. I got Saints 27, Falcons 20. Bills at Jaguars. Bills are the best team in the AFC. I'm not going to spend too much time talking about this game. The Jaguars, they're one of the worst teams in the NFL. 
I got Bills 40, Jaguars 10. I'm taking the Bills to cover that spread. Patriots at Panthers. Patriots, they're hot. They won two straight games against the Jets and Chargers. Matt Jones and the Patriots, they are traveling to Carolina to take on Sam Darnold and the Carolina Panthers. I'm rolling with the Patriots to beat the Panthers. I'll say 24-21. If it's going to be a close game, I believe there's a possibility that Christian McCaffrey will return back to the lineup for the Carolina Panthers. He's going to come back off of IR. We know he's a very, very important part of what the Panthers want to do. But I think the Patriots, they're playing some great football right now. They're trying to make a playoff push into the second half of, of the season. I got Patriots 24, Panthers 21. Chargers at Eagles, right? I think earlier I looked on the score app and they only had the Chargers favored by one and a half. I was surprised, but then I thought about it. You got a West Coast team traveling to the East Coast. So there's a time difference there. And we've seen teams, you know, on the West Coast travel to the East Coast and they haven't played well. We saw earlier this season where the L.A. Chargers, they traveled to Baltimore and they got blown off the field by the Baltimore Ravens. I don't think that will be the case in this matchup. I think the Chargers are a better football team than the Philadelphia Eagles. But I think this will be a close matchup at Lincoln Financial Field. Sunday afternoon. I got Chargers 27, Eagles 21. So I think it's going to be a close game. I don't think the Chargers are going to blow out the Eagles. Again, I saw the line and I saw the Chargers at, you know, favored by one and a half. And I thought, wow, that's kind of low. But I thought about it. West Coast team traveling to an East Coast team. Those teams can be, can be dicey. I got Chargers beating the Eagles 27-21. We got an NFC. West battle between the Arizona Cardinals and the San Francisco 49ers. I think Kyler Murray is questionable with the ankle injury. I'm going to assume he's going to play. I think the San Francisco 49ers season is going to go down the drain. I don't think the Niners are going to be a playoff team. Uh, I thought they were going to be competing for a playoff spot as we get later into the season. That was my prediction earlier before the season but i don't think the 49ers are that good i think they need to try to figure out a way if trey lance is going to be their franchise quarterback moving forward i'm rolling with the cardinals to beat the 49ers and bounce back from their week eight loss to the packers i got cardinals i'll go 27 to 20 i think this is going to be a very very interesting game i would have said it was one of the more you know key matchups in week nine but without the services of Derrick Henry it's going to be tough for the Tennessee Titans we got Titans at Rams it's going to be an interesting game but I think the Rams are a better football team being able to bring in Von Miller Titans they don't have Derrick Henry he's lost for the season I think that's going to hurt the Titans in their offense we know that there is no player in the NFL more important to their team than Derrick Henry is to the Tennessee Titans. I think it's going to show in this game. I think the Rams are going to make the Titans be one-dimensional and the Titans are going to have to rely on Ryan Tannehill to win this game. I don't think it's going to work. I got Rams 31, Titans 17. 
Monday night matchup. Bears at Steelers. Steelers, they've won three straight games. Roethlisberger is protecting the football. And the Steelers are on a roll. You can go ahead and make it four straight for the Pittsburgh Steelers. I think they are a lot to win Monday night at Heinz Field in Pittsburgh. I think the Pittsburgh Steelers are going to improve to five and three on the season and try to improve their chances at being able to win the AFC North. I got Steelers 25, Bears 21. Now, let's talk about the matchup that I'm looking forward to this Sunday at Arrowhead in Kansas City. We got the 7-1 Green Bay Packers traveling to the Kansas City Chiefs, who are 4-4 four four on the season. It's a 4:25 p.m. Eastern Standard Time start on Fox. No Aaron Rodgers, so it's Jordan Love versus Patrick Mahomes. I think in order for the Packers to be able to pull off the upset, they have to do exactly what they did against the Arizona Cardinals. This has to be a game where Matt LaFleur has his imprint all over the Packers' offense and their game plan at being able to win this game. I thought Matt LaFleur did an outstanding job in the Cardinals game at shortening the game and running the football with A.J. Dillon and Aaron Jones. You remember in that game, the Packers had over 150 rushing yards on the game. I think that's a recipe for success for the Packers in this game as well, going up against a Chiefs defense that isn't very good. I mean, this Chiefs defense is one of the worst in the NFL. I don't think the Chiefs are going to blow out the Packers Sunday at Arrowhead. I really, really don't. So I know a lot of Chiefs fans are excited because Aaron Rodgers won't play in this game. So they believe their chances at being able to win this game increases. But don't forget at how great Matt LaFleur can game plan and put Jordan Love in positions to be successful. Jordan Love, he won't have to go throw for throw with Patrick Mahomes. But I think Jordan Love, if you can keep him around 20 passing attempts at the most in this game, and have a lot of carries for Aaron Jones and for A.J. Dillon and be able to run the football on that Chiefs defense, eat up some time on that clock, keep Patrick Mahomes on the sideline. I think that's a formula for the Packers to be able to pull off the upset in Kansas City Sunday afternoon. I don't think it's going to be a blowout for the Chiefs. I don't. And also, I don't think the Chiefs are a very good football team anyway. Like the Chiefs, they turn the ball over at a very, very high clip. Patrick Mahomes, he turns the ball over a lot. And for whatever reason, whenever a ball is like tipped up in the air, usually the Chiefs, they don't come down with the ball. The opposing team basically catches the football and it's a turnover for the Chiefs. So they don't, they don't do a very good job at being able to stop the run offensively. They have a lot of penalties. They turn the ball over. So I think this game is going to be close. The Packers are going to get back Devontae Adams in this game. They're going to get back Alan Lazard. And they're going to get back Marquez Valdez-Scanlon. So the, the only player that's missing is Aaron Rodgers. So Jordan Love has everyone around him who is going to need to be successful this weekend. Don't forget about Aaron Jones and A.J. Dillon and how important they're going to be and Matt LaFleur's game plan. Yeah, I know I'm not going to pick against my Packers. 
I think they pull off the upset in Arrowhead against the Chiefs. I got Packers beating the Kansas City Chiefs 24-21. Everybody remember going follow the Wise Guys on Twitter at WiseGuys underscore H. Also on Facebook, Wise Guys. Let me sure to follow Wise Guys on Instagram at these guys. No sports. I'm Trey Larkins on the World Wide Sports Network. It's going to be a great weekend of football, ladies and gentlemen. We got the Bearcats mm. taking on the, the Tulsa. I can't think of Tulsa's team name. I can't. That's why I keep saying the Tulsa. I, I can't think of their team name. But they, they're they about to play right now at Nipper Stadium. And then we have the rest of the college football tonight. And then we also have NFL Week 9. You're, you're, you're listening to the Worldwide Sports Radio Network.